Hey everybody, uh, welcome to the first podcast of the new decade. Actually, the decade started uh, January 1. Uh, so welcome to the 4-Star Podcast. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a lot of new things, new, new for the year. We're going to go through our positioning and all the other things that uh, we like to do on these podcasts and actually some other really interesting stories that remind us why America is such a strong country. So uh, welcome to the podcast. And uh, Chris Reardon, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for being here. Welcome, everyone, and uh, hopefully it'll be a good one. This is Brian Castle, your host, and uh, Chris with me is, uh, well, uh, let me introduce him again to those who haven't heard uh, our podcast before. Chris is a newly married man. Uh, No food fights lately, Chris? Uh, Okay. Not recently. Marriage is going well. That's good. Uh, He's the four-star director of development. I call him the master of all things portfolio, reports, uh, supports our advisors, and he still loves his Cleveland Indians as well, Chris. Uh, he's caretaker of his new golden doodle puppy, Hudson. And uh, just by way of background, Chris was raised near the Factory of Sadness, which is the uh, home of the, we thought would be, resurgent Cleveland Browns, but not to be. Still Factory of right. Sadness. <laughs> Still the Factory of Sadness in Cleveland. Anyway, Chris, welcome to the podcast again. Yep, thank you. And I'm Brian Castle, your founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth Advisors, headquartered here in Chicago. I'm an Eagle Scout which is uh, a cool thing, I think. Uh, I'm a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, uh, investment advisor, charter advisor of philanthropy, uh, chief investment officer of Four Star Wealth. I'm an advisor to CEOs and insiders in very complicated uh, planning and transactions. Most importantly, I'm a dad to Quinn and Evan, two of the best young men in the world, and husband to the amazing Tripti, uh, who is my, my princess, and also a fan of the we thought Super Bowl Chicago Bears. How'd that work out this year? I don't think so. <laughs> eight, eight and eight. So <clears throat> anyway, so uh, here we are. We're on to the podcast for uh, for January 8th, right? So yep. first, January 8th, 2020. So let's get right at it. Let's first talk, Chris, about the markets and our positioning. Uh, we come into January after kind of a sloppy economic quarter in the fourth quarter of 2019 yet the markets are right near new highs yep yeah we're i think it today touched new highs i don't think it ended at new highs mm-hmm. uh but um yeah we're at pretty much right at the top at the new highs um our positioning um as it's been for those of you that have been listening is uh we're all on offense right now um what we're seeing from an asset allocation front um, we are we continue to see domestic equities um tally score wise uh which is kind of you know, versus other asset classes. Um, we continue to see it move up. It's moved up about three or four points, I believe, since our last podcast. Um, and it is still the number one asset class in our rankings. Uh, the other, the second asset class, uh, international equities, we're starting to see a little bit of movement in as well. Um, so that's moved up, I think, about another two or three points. So we're not seeing a lot of movement, but we are seeing a little bit of movement from certain asset classes. Um, and third, we still have fixed income, uh, which has been moving downward slowly, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I mean, we've talked about this too. It's what you would expect um, with the Fed lowering interest rates. Um, it's definitely not maybe the best environment for fixed income uh, right now. Um, and then commodities is in fourth. Commodities has been moving up slightly, uh, mostly due to gold, precious metals, um, 
you know, things like that. And then uh, oil has been the other major commodity mm-hmm. mover. Um, gold had probably its best year in 2019 in, in recent years, although it was definitely overshadowed by the general markets, which just had stellar years in 2019. So, uh, and then rounds out in the uh, fifth, in the fifth spot, we have cash, which has been moving downwards, which is a good sign. Everybody's and, getting uh, out of cash. Right? Everyone's getting yeah. out of cash and cash. Uh, obviously, cash being in the number one spot usually means markets are uh, in for a lot of volatility. So the fact that that tally score is moving down is a good sign for the market and shows that consumer and or you know investor optimism, I should say, is strong. And then currencies is rounding out the sixth spot. So uh, overall, not not a lot of change, but um, we're seeing upwards movement in, in international equities, domestic equities. And a little bit recently in commodities. So. so for those of you who are new to the podcast, think in terms of all the major asset classes that are fighting in like a, like a series of tug-of-war tug mm-hmm. games that are going on in a field. And cash is on one side and, and commodities are on the other and they're fighting for money. Money's flowing somewhere. Where's money flowing? Well, when we see prices and stocks move up in certain commodities and international, then those get those tally scores. There's measurements that we have on a system that we track. And so that's that's what this is all about. And all we're eating there, we're eating where's money flowing? And, and how do we make money? We make money when we buy things that go up. And how do we avoid loss? We avoid loss by getting out of things that are going down. Yep. It's very simple. And a little more complicated in practice, but it's a very simple idea, right? And so that's, that's what we're talking about. U.S. equities continue to grow. International, after being kind of dead ski for quite a while, starting to move. Commodities, certain parts of it are kind of mm-hmm. moved, right, Chris? Yeah. Yep. It's good stuff. Yeah, international after, I think, even going into Q4 uh, 2019, <clears throat> it was actually moving downwards. So it kind of you know stopped that movement downwards and has been slowly moving upwards mm-hmm. uh, over the last month or so. So that's been good to see. You know, it's been going into 2018. I remember going back now two years, which seems like just yesterday, we were talking about how, you know, uh, international is primed for a takeoff and it were never really materialized it just kind of faded moved downwards and we're starting to finally see it at least kind of the beginnings of what may be uh, a little bit of resurgence there possibly yeah so, yeah it's good to see well and and that would be kind of from the page of the book the, that you know when you want a strategy to invest uh, you want to see things moving you want to see other people involved and you don't need to you don't need to predict it you just watch what's happening and you ride the wave so we want to buy things that are high because somebody's pushing them up and sell them higher so instead of buy low sell high we say buy high sell higher right yep and if it starts going low get out <laughs> as simple as that so uh, anyway well that's all good and some of that is driven by the economy uh, the economy's been strong albeit with kind of a slowdown in the in the, the part of the third and then certainly in the fourth quarter. And uh, we're seeing some interesting economic numbers, Chris, right? Yeah, so, um, you know, we had a recent, um, I think it released today, right? ADP payrolls came mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. at, uh, was it 202,000? 201. 201. ADP right. versus 166. Which is a huge beat uh, for that. Yeah. And and I, we've talked about this in the past that the, um, you know, U.S. market, the labor market in particular has been, a really strong point of the U.S. economy, and, and one of the primary drivers that has really helped propel it, 
Um, it's been you know labor market and kind of as a uh, side effect of that labor market, uh, consumer confidence and consumer spending. Mm-hmm. You know when people have jobs, they're willing to spend a little bit more. They're willing to go out and go on that vacation or you know buy a little bit more around the holidays. So. Um, and but the other aspect that we're seeing, and and for those of longtime listeners of the podcast, we talked about this. I want to say a year, maybe a year, a little over a year ago. Uh, but we're finally starting to see wages move upwards. Mm-hmm. Um, wages, uh, especially in particular for the bottom twenty-five percent of wage earners, moved up, uh, rose four and a half percent year over year mm-hmm. uh, to end lat two thousand nineteen. So that's a strong number, especially when you know going back a year we were saying how it was stuck in the two low two percent mm-hmm. you know wage growth. So uh, we're starting to see a little bit of resurgence there, which I think is very. Uh, indicative of the very strong uh, labor market we're in. We're having that competition. Employers are having to uh, fight a little bit stronger, pay a little bit more for uh, for the employees. So, um, you know, it's definitely a, an effect of the strong labor market we've seen. No doubt. Well, even the Fed, the, the Fed chief came out and said the other day, we need more people in the workforce, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense, right? Because if there's a certain number of millions of people that are working, and the unemployment rate is in the threes, mm-hmm. okay? That means that only less than 2% of the, of the people who want to work are employed or are unemployed. So how do you get more jobs Then you need more people to enter the workforce? There's that, that many people left in, uh, that are unemployed, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. what they're looking now. How do we get more people into the workforce? Uh, because we have a lot of jobs. Uh, economy's good. Uh, there's a lot of jobs that are unfilled. So there's more jobs unfilled than there are people in the labor force right now. That's a good problem to have. Yep. Really good problem to have. So. Yep. It's a, it's supply. You know, think about it from supply and demand perspective. And when you have a shortage of supply, which is what we would say right now, if we had more people raise their hand, that supply would increase. That would help right. the labor pool. But if you know it continues, we have this shortage of supply and high demand, more mm-hmm. jobs, then... Mm-hmm. You know, what do you do? You see costs kind of raise a little bit, and that's where we're seeing that wage growth there as well. Well, and all, all through the first part of the recovery from from the 2008-2009 collapse, we saw the labor force participation rate stubbornly uh, low. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is just the fact that so many people got discouraged and they didn't want to work. So then the unemployment rate went down, but a lot of people still didn't enter the workforce. And then we did see some people entering the workforce, unemployment rate went slightly up, and then it went back down as those people were absorbed into the strong economy. So now we're down to record, record low unemployment rates. So to get more people employed, we need more people to raise their hand when the survey comes around mm-hmm. and says, do you want a job? And that's really how they do it. They actually say, do you, are you looking for a job? Yes or no? Do you, if, if yes, do you have a job? That's as, that's as simple <laughs> as the survey is, right? Exactly. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, exactly right. so now we need more people to raise their hand and say, I want a job. So it could mean seniors coming out of the woodwork. It could be more immigration of folks coming in to do jobs here. So anyway, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting position. When I think of all the different economies that I've watched since I got in the financial industry in the early 80s, I've really not seen an economy like this. There were times maybe in the 50s that it was like that, but we haven't seen anything this strong in a long time. Well, it's a record uh, long bull market, right? We're going on 10 yeah. plus years. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, there's always when you have that length, there's always speculation as, oh, mm-hmm. is it going to end? Is it, you know, right. and I think we are kind of in uncharted territory and, and mm-hmm. there's no, there's nothing right now that could say it's got to end right now or it's going to end, you know, 
you know, soon. Um, you know, we don't know when that's going to happen, but right. you know, um, there's nothing that says it has to has to happen right now. Yeah, and and people are pre- there's people that always like to predict things and. Well, you know, we might think we know a little bit more than some people and we could maybe predict things. The reality is there's so many things that could happen. It's really hard for anybody to predict. But uh, is is it for sure that the economy is going to slow down and the markets are going to go down from here just because the bull market's been so long, just because the strong economy has been gone so long? Not necessarily, right? Mm-hmm. There's no There's no correlation. Now we're seeing all kinds of other strange things going on overseas with the European economy slower, the Chinese economy very slow because of the tariff uh, activity of our of our president and our in our uh, economy. So um, that makes our economy even that much better. Yep. So that means we could have more legs to this to this economic rally and market rally at the same time. Um, that doesn't sound to me like it's ending anytime soon. No, and I mean some people even speculated. Um, like I said, we did have the Fed did come out and ha- um, start with a couple rate decreases, um, and some people have even you know, like Brian said, they like to speculate. Speculated mm-hmm. that maybe the Fed did do accomplish a, what's called a soft landing. You know, they did catch the economy when it was decelerating, and we may mm-hmm. have it. You know, it may de- continue to decelerate a little bit, uh, but then you know if. It is truly a soft, you know, a soft landing. Then we would eventually see it reaccelerate, accelerate back up. Right, and that's what we hope we'll see now. Exactly. Uh, and and not much more deterioration. Certainly with those employment numbers and the other things that we're seeing, that those those would be indicators that would tell us it's going to be be that way. Yep. Economy is going to recover. But it's it's quite interesting that you know if you are ever going to create economic turmoil. Uh, now we're getting clicks on our iPads here. So anyway, if you're ever going to get uh, an environment where uh, you are uh, playing competitive games with other countries, which could disrupt the economy, this is probably the only economy you could do it in. Mm-hmm. So President Trump has been very aggressive about trying to even the playing field, where he felt that so many countries around the world were unfairly targeting in America charging prices lower than we were, undercutting us in, in a lot of unfair ways. So he's forcing them to price in all their costs mm-hmm. by issuing tariffs and making them play fair. And so China, the Chinese are actually reacting to that, right? I think yep. we mentioned this in the last podcast, right, Chris? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I, what's happened, I think it's happened since the last podcast, but um, we finally got to a limited trade deal um, which is hopefully steps towards the final trade deal, but uh, China did agree to cut import tariffs for um, frozen pork, pharmaceuticals, um, and a lot of high-tech components uh, starting in the beginning of 2020. So it is in effect now. Um, some of that makes sense. Uh, we've talked in the past about um, kind of the, the shortage of pork that's going on in China, which is a very large consumer of pork. Um, so obviously that's strategic for them since their population struggling, prices are rising. If they can import more, it's going to help them. Uh, but, you know, you know, America gets the bad name because we were slapping tariffs on stuff. But this even goes to show, I mean, they're cutting tariffs on U.S. goods. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize how many American goods were being tariffed by other countries. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of goes along the lines of uh, trying to create a fair playing field. And hopefully overall, as these tariffs come down, it's going to create a much more competitive and much more cost benefit uh, to the end consumer. Because, yes. you know, the less tariffs there are, the less cost there is going to be to, you know, these the store chains or whoever is going to be the inner party that's going to sell to the end consumer. Um, and that's going to be lower cost for everyone. So 
Well, um, in America's economic power is so strong that a lot of countries were, as Chris said, putting up big tariffs against us and similar goods. And so, um, you know, we want to compete on a fair playing field. And all that means when a country is raising tariffs to keep America out, that means they're worried about their own their own country their own companies not being efficient enough and they don't want to restructure and they don't want the disruption of dis, of of dis, of restructuring maybe layoffs and all those kinds of things mm-hmm. it creates a lot of dis, discord in the community but it's not an efficient company it needs to be restructured right so by forcing the tariffs to come lower in a tariff war, essentially, it forces all those countries to get better. So I've mentioned my view on the on various podcasts in the bat in the past, where if this if this structure where we're forcing the world to compete fairly causes all these other companies and countries around the world to get more efficient, it could eventually, once we get through this disruption period and the tariff war period, could lead to a worldwide prosperity in one sense that. The, the great number of economic actors are operating a lot more efficiently. It could be really great stuff, mm-hmm. although it's bad in the short run for certain inefficient players. Long run, it could be good for everybody. And yep. that's good for, it's good for America. It'll be good for everybody eventually. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, so it was frozen pork now that, that they lowered their tariffs on. So we can actually import frozen pork to China, right? Or we can export or expo- fro- frozen pork. Ex- okay, 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 okay. Correct, right. correct. Right. Right. So, okay. Export frozen pork to China. To China. Without and import to there, yeah. Right. And they can import it, um, which they could import it before, but they were tariffing it. And, you know, I, I, I think we were kind of withdrawing a little bit from exporting it. So it, it, it's beneficial, but yes, we it's are. It's good for their people too, because the pork is cheaper then, right? It's good for them, more exactly. pork in the market. Yeah. Since yeah. there was a low supply of pork there, the price was skyrocketing. So now that they're importing more, there's no tariffs on it, it's going to be cheaper and everyone's going to be more happy. Yes. So. so at any given time, there's a lot of interesting things happening in the economic world. And just today, as we walked into the podcast, Yahoo Finance uh, had a smiling picture of Elon Musk and all the talk in the last two days has been about Tesla. And the article says Tesla is now the most valuable car company in the world. And that's interesting uh, because Tesla is kind of a new company and they're not actually making money. Uh, but that's what the article said. So uh, it's it, Well, not in the world. It's the U.S. In the U.S. Okay, okay. The world, I think Toyota still... It's it's close. It's the third, of the U.S. companies, right? Correct. It's the third most valuable automa- automaker in the world. They're close behind. Uh, Toyota's number one, I believe, and they're not even close to Toyota. They're at about I think seventy billion is their market cap now, roughly. Right. That's right. And Toyota, they're be- but they're beating Ford and GM. Oh yeah, no, yeah, by yeah, far yeah. the most valuable U.S. in the history. I mean, we're not even talking just current. Yeah. Like even going back to the heyday of you know Detroit and everything. So. Um, you know, that's it's, it says a lot, like you said, about Elon Musk and how he kind of designed that. And I think a lot of the recent, um, you know, the recent news that's propelled it to that point has been uh, actually, funny enough, Elon Musk's and, and Tesla's uh, entrance into the Chinese market. Um, for those of you that have been following or haven't, uh, Tesla opened a plant, a production plant in China and is now producing cars. I think it's like one, uh, no, like one an hour, one car an hour or something like that out of their their Tesla plant in China. And then mm-hmm. they plan on selling it to the Chinese market. So um, a lot of people are taking that as that's going to be huge for Tesla. And we've talked in the past about how China is, uh, you know, ho- obviously they have a lot of, um, you know, problems with 
environment and everything just and due to overpopulation. Yeah. Oh, you mean China, yeah. Yeah, China due to overpopulation. So, um, you know, they're trying to cut down on environmental things and, and cars and all that. So electronic or electric vehicles over there, um, you know, is a big boost for them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. And it's not a prediction to see if, if Tesla went all the way down to $140 again before it, it hit $1,000. It could, but, absolutely. But, um, you know, it's looking bright for the time being, um, mm -hmm. you know, Probably in a year from now, they'll be in a cash crunch. It'll be 140 bucks a share again. But who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Well, it's just just about to break 500. So Crazy. So we'll see. So shout out to our friend uh, Joe Thompson, who's been very active uh, with uh, with Tesla. Uh, talked to Joe about it earlier today, and uh, our friend Paul Levy, who's been a longtime uh, proponent of Tesla. So congratulations, you guys. Uh, so we're in a new year. So every new year brings a lot of interesting things. Uh, so what are some of the new things for 2020, Chris? Yeah, so um, one of the biggest things, and it's really affecting a lot of um, wealthy families, especially in the estate planning front, has been a new change to the tax law. Uh, so some individuals in their estate planning were planning on passing down their wealth to younger generations through um, beneficiary IRAs, or mm -hmm. you know, when they pass away, their IRAs go to their children. Um, in the past, tax law stated that the children or the beneficiaries, or whoever that is, in, the, in this case, could then draw that down over the period of their life. Mm -hmm. uh, so that allows them to take those distributions over, you know, let's say a 30-year period or, or whatever it may be. Uh, whereas the new tax law states that those IRAs now have to be drawn down over a 10-year period. So obviously the beneficiary is going to have to take a significant significant more amount out each year uh, which is then going to be taxed and it's going to cause problems possibly for the beneficiary so this is throwing uh, a lot of uh, not a lot of people but certain people's estate planning into uh, kind of haywire mm -hmm. if they were planning on utilizing this for for some of their estate planning but um, there are some exceptions obviously spouses are, are exempted and then certain um, you know children or, or um, certain beneficiaries with handicaps uh, are exempted from it, but um, it's definitely something that uh, it, you know a lot of people were talking about it to end 2019, and and it's definitely throwing a lot of estate planning attorneys, I'm sure, through uh, through the ringer right now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, another really interesting thing for uh, for 2020, uh, Four Stars headquartered in Chicago, in uh, the great state of Illinois, or the not so great state of Illinois, based on our financial <laughs> condition. But uh, the big story here is that we're the new Colorado, we're the new pot state. So. Oh. So uh, there were what nine or ten dispensaries around the city, yep, in and Chicago. Uh, in Chicago, and uh, people are lined up, and the pot, all the pot is gone now. They sold it all. <laughs> it's all ridiculous. They get, they get it back, and then there's all the there's all the discussions about well, you still can't smoke pot and drive, mm -hmm. right? And you can transport it in your car, but you can't have it out, and you can't. Yep. And, you, and the people in your car can't be smoking pot. Yep. And you as the driver can't be on the influence of THC, which is the active ingredient. So, uh, but we're the new pot state here in Illinois. How about that? It's, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, you hear, we heard about it, you know, but actually seeing it firsthand and hearing and like seeing lines and stuff. I mean, I saw, I, or I read about even that uh, certain lines, people were waiting for seven hours, seven hours just to, you know, purchase marijuana legally, which... You know, it's pretty absurd. And the fact mm -hmm. that it sold out in three days for most of the, you know, 
the stores in, in Chicago sold out in three days. And I think the sales were about 10 million, which um, we were talking about it and people were like, it seems low, but when you factor in the pet, the fact that people are waiting seven hours to purchase it, yeah. you know, if you had 30 or 40 stores, I'm sure the sales would be significantly higher. Um, but it's just, it it's, it's just shows the fact, you know, why other states and it continues to be more legalized in more and yep. more states. Yep. Well, and, and bottom line, too, is just because pot's legal doesn't mean you should be smoking it. And uh, and you can't do it all day if you're going to be working and all those kinds. So so let's all keep this in perspective. I know our Lieutenant Governor, Julia Stratton, was, was smiling and saying she was going to buy some pot. We're like, mm-hmm. eh, maybe you don't say that so much. Anyway, <laughs> so and we've seen a lot of memes in Illinois now where there's photos of, of the skyscrapers of Chicago kind of surrounded by, you know, wafts of pot smoke and things like it's been quite funny uh around here in the last week so anyway so illinois is a new pot state the other the other thing that's happening and some of these taxes have come into other cities as well but uh uber is now uh, a little bit more of a mature mature operation and so the mayor in chicago instituted with uh with the the city some new taxes on uber uh to create uh, uh some revenue streams for the city and also uh, to keep congestion down downtown because there has been a lot of congestion because Ubers have been so cheap. Mm-hmm. So, but the thing about it is the tax was a couple dollars per ride, which is you know mm-hmm. no one wants to pay a couple dollars more. But um, if you look at the elasticity of demand, meaning will the people that normally take Uber home or take Uber somewhere will they stop taking Uber because of the extra tax? And most of those folks are not in that position to really make that much of a change. They'll probably still pay the tax, right? Yep. So I would say that's an inelastic tax, and it's going to generate revenue for the city, and the people who want Uber are probably still going to use it. Uh, Thanks to my son, Quinn, who's a transportation graduate school at UIC, who uh, was analyzing the impact of that tax, and and I think he's right. I think... uh, that ends up probably being, if there is such a thing, a good tax. I, maybe I shouldn't say that, but that might be a good tax. Right? Yeah, you know, I, people aren't going to be happy because it's a tax. But, you know, I mean, it, overall, I think the um, due to the inelasticity of it, um, the impact on the actual most individual consumers of Uber and, and everything aren't going yeah. to be too bothersome about it. Well, the other thing that's new this year is just at the at the end of the year, Elsie the cow is done. Borden, uh, the famous Borden Dairy Company, filed for bankruptcy, and uh, that doesn't mean that Elsie the cow is gone forever. Uh, but we've seen a lot of these iconic brands that don't restructure, they don't keep up with the times. So the current entity that's selling that product has to go bankrupt. But what what a brand name, Elsie the cow, right? So somebody will probably grab that brand name. Uh, anybody remembers about five years ago the maker of Twinkies, which uh, maybe we could do without Twinkies, but uh, <laughs> Hostess uh, went bankrupt, and there was big, you know, big, you know, sadness. They had TV shows about how Twinkies were going away and all this, and then finally it all came back, right? So somebody yep. else took the name, and so maybe Elsie the Cow isn't done, but the company that makes Elsie the Cow's products and Borden is done right now and even like uh, anybody remembers all the old beers from the 70s Paps Blue Ribbon and Schlitz and all those names they all went away well they're all coming back right so yep. there's companies buying those surgeons. brands so anyway but in the short run Elsie the cow is done everybody welcome to 2020 <laughs> all right um, I wanted to share a couple of other interesting stories 
um, my wife and our two boys and I and our friends the Fays, Jerry, Patty, and their daughter Mackenzie went to South America over the holiday. And, and I, I, I bring this up just to talk about, about how the American economy is strong. Uh, in, earlier in November, I went to a conference in Colombia. And when I went to Colombia, I found out that for every dollar, uh, there are three million Colombian uh, pesos to the dollar. So how did how did how did a dollar get worth three wow. million pesos? Well, that that's just the fact that there has been so much corruption and devaluation and all all kinds of economic disruption that that's where they are right now. They probably need to do a reverse split or something of their currency or something mm -hmm. like that. But but when a currency gets like that, it just shows there's heavy corruption and heavy dysfunction in the economy. So when we were in Argentina, we went to Buenos Aires, which is a beautiful place with a lot of tango dancers and, and a lot of other fun stuff down in Buenos Aires. But it's 60 Argentine pesos to the dollar. And so again, they've had all kinds of economic problems in Argentina. They had a currency crash. They had all kinds of other things besides the Evita Peron, don't cry for me, you know, Argentina and all that stuff. But Argentina is still kind of an economic mess in some ways, but it's certainly a, a very cultural city, a lot of fun. Uh, Brazil also is uh, four to the dollar, so Brazil had all kinds of economic dysfunction. Uh, but going down there and you see all those great societies of the world, uh, we're still the strongest economy in the world in America, but when you see all those currency effects of what's happened overseas, uh, it's still a great place to go to in Argentina and Brazil. We were in Rio and we were in Sao Paulo, and it was uh, great fun. But I still love America. It's great to see, but I want to live here, right? Um, also, another international story, which is just unfolding today, actually, mm -hmm. uh, after our meeting, uh, the former uh, CEO of Renault-Nissan, Carlos Ghosn, uh, was do giving a press conference. Now, if anybody's been following this saga, about a year ago he got arrested, and the reason, the, the stated reason was for underreporting income in Japan. So Renault took over Nissan, Nissan's such a big car manufacturer that he ended up relocating there. So he's in, in Japan, and they, they wouldn't really tell him any more details. Then finally, in this press conference, he was announcing to everyone that when he was asking what income did he underreport, well, they said, well, that was income that you never got. And so therefore, you probably didn't know about it, but it was income that you were going to get and you didn't report it. So, you know, they were just making up stories, it, it sounded like. Right. And uh, the, they wouldn't let him have lawyers. They wouldn't let him leave only if he confessed to these crimes that he didn't do. So he sat there in jail and he wouldn't he wouldn't. Or, and you know, in, I don't know if he was actually house in jail, arrest, house arrest of some sort, and and he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't uh, admit to these supposed crimes. Well, um, he's a storied figure in the in the auto industry. He restructured Nissan. Uh, there's been ten books written about the things that he's done, um, but. The thing is, he must have angered a lot of people because to restructure Nissan, there's probably been a lot of layoffs and a lot of other disruption to get the company back to being efficient. And Nissan's a great company now, but they didn't like Carlos. <laughs> right? So after a year under house arrest, he crafted an escape. So we heard about that the last couple of days leading now to this press conference. And how did he do the escape, Chris? He was coming out. So he came out, and he kind of, I think, he had a mask. He was a security guard, he had a mask on. He had, he had a mask on, kind of one of the, um, uh, what are they, like, um, for health reasons, I forget, I don't know what the official the name is. big thing in Japan, yeah. Yeah, so he had one of the masks on, and then once they got to um, the airport, and it was kind of the smaller uh, private jet part of the airport, 
Uh, they snuck him into um, what was it to house? It was a, a big, container. It was a container. And I think it was a container usually for like speakers or something. That was a pretty decent sized container. And uh, this airport in particular, since it was kind of the private jet area, didn't have a scanner to send any of the luggage through. Uh, so it just went straight onto the plane. Obviously, if they had a scanner, most likely they would have noticed a human being inside the inside the luggage. But he kind of got passed through all that, got on the private jet, uh, and made his escape. So it's pretty uh, kind of like movie-esque, you know, of an escape uh, from it. It's something you'd see probably in like a James Bond movie or something. But, um, you know, it's fascinating that he had to go to that length or felt he had to go to that length to get out of there to, um, you know to feel like he could probably get his case out in the open. So he made a great speech. And during the speech, uh, the people on Fox Business were talking about it, Maria Bartiroma and our, our friend Kevin O'Leary, who was excited because he couldn't believe this great speech he was giving and how uh, basically he was taking control of the situation. And it uh, turns out he probably didn't hide any income. They just didn't like him. And they were trying to find a way to get rid of him, and this is the way they were going to do it. And they, you know, they thought he might die in captivity, uh, and he wouldn't do it. So he finally ended up leaving. But uh, we talked about this before that a lot of uh, countries try to have capitalism and economic freedom, but a lot of the rules sometimes aren't always as comfortable as people would like. So clearly, in Japan, there are a lot of unspoken rules. A lot of things are covert rather than overt. We talk in America about being a society of laws, not men. When men just make the rules arbitrarily without having a law that we all agreed to, that's when things like this this uh, apprehension of Carlos Ghosn happened. Mm-hmm. Happen because they didn't like him. And there's a lot of things they didn't like him about, about him par- apparently to the point that they would basically kidnap him and put him in captivity and make up stuff, which is basically what they did. And uh, it's really it's really a shame. But if we needed another message about why America is a great place, uh, now America is certainly not perfect, but Japan is clearly not committed to economic freedom the way America would be. Uh, there are cultural reasons why they can't you know, go all the way and do it. It's really interesting, though, because after World War II, when we had to defeat Japan as well as defeat the Nazis, America then helped them become one of the strongest economies in the world to the point that they ended up showing us how to do things. Uh, back in the 90s, what was really hot in car manufacturing was called lean manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And there were consulting firms in America that were helping the American automakers who didn't really engage in lean manufacturing in the 70s and the 80s to their own detriment. It was developed in Japan. So Japan came out of the war. They turned into an economic juggernaut. They were so strong. They were buying golf courses all over the country. They overpaid for those, though. And they, <laughs> overpaid, and they overpaid for a lot of buildings. So they, the financially, they had too much leverage and everything like that. But bottom line, though, is Japan uh, has built a great economic engine. But there are certain parts of the culture that will not really allow complete economic freedom. Exactly. So we are trying to do that in America. Um, we make plenty of mistakes. And the famous... Uh, Famous world leader, uh, British leader, Winston Churchill said, America will always do the right thing once every other possibility has been exhausted or something quite like that. So we, we certainly make many of many mistakes uh, on our own. But one thing we're definitely committed to on, in most circles in America is economic freedom. And uh, the famous uh, founding father, Ben Franklin, once said that, uh, you know, what kind of when he was asked, what kind of government do you have? And he said, it's a republic if you can keep it. And the if we can keep it part is simply about 
can we make America really a fair place to live? Can we make sure that everyone gets the economic freedom? And they weren't even doing it back then in the early stages of the country because there were a lot of people that didn't have freedom. There were people who were discriminated against and everything else. But we're trying in America to make it as fair as we can, give everybody the same economic freedom. So this republic we have, we can actually keep. So that's uh, my comments for today. Uh, thank you all uh, for being with the podcast today. I'm losing my voice there. Sorry about that. Um, but uh, we'll resume in a couple more weeks. Chris, yep. I think we're done for the day. Yep. Thank you for being part of the Four Star Podcast. And uh, welcome to 2020.